Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and the Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Conjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and the Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Conjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers, one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. Today, we're joined by Kevin Jaquila, co-founder and president of Just Vertical. He's a plant scientist by training, and he spent a lot of time in the Canadian Arctic studying and understanding food systems and supply chains. He also spent time thinking about food security and remote places, inspired by his experience. And today he works for Just Vertical, a startup in Canada. So welcome, Kevin. Please tell us a little bit more about yourself and Just Vertical. Thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. I really appreciate it. For us uh, at Just Vertical, we we do indoor vertical hydroponic gardening. Um, What that is, we use different types of media and substrates to grow food indoors 365 days a year. So um, my my passion for this started, as you mentioned, um, in my time in the Canadian Arctic, um, from the northeast to the northwest of the Arctic. And I saw um, and experienced myself um, food insecurity at at its true root, where uh, a frozen pizza retailed for $35 or a a two liter jug of orange juice was was 40. So, um, and there was very little of any uh, fresh food, um, fruits and vegetables. So um, that's where then the passion kind of started uh, from my end. That's so powerful. I just, we talk a lot about food security and I just feel like most, that there are a lot of people, um, especially in North America and Europe that haven't experienced that. And so, you know, understanding where it comes from and the fragility of our system is powerful and important, especially now as we're talking about so many disruptions in our food system. Kevin, I have a question for you. You and I share the uh, plant scientist uh, in terms of our training. Could you tell us a little bit more about uh, your your interest and training on the plant side of this conversation? Sure, yeah. well, um, my first degree was in chemistry, uh, to be honest with you. And uh, after doing certain certain type of dark experiments in a lab where literally no ambient light can come into the room, um, and I had to be yelling at people to shut the door, shut the door every time they they came into the lab because it would any any light would would ruin the experiment that I've been working on for sitting in a dark room for twelve hours. Um, I knew it was time to move on to something a little different. So I kind of had a had a passion. I always had a passion for plants and biology in general. Uh, I did my master's degree uh, accordingly. Um, and what what we like to focus on the research we do at Just Vertical are a couple of unique things. We want to enhance the nutritional properties of food grown indoors. So what we're looking at is enhancing vitamin vitamins and mineral properties as well as flavonoids, antioxidants, and terpenes. And we do this by different nutritional uh, regimes and different light recipes. Uh, light recipes meaning different types of 
uh, photo periods, intensities of light, as well as the different diodes and LEDs that in, in, encompass the, the, the broad spectrum. So using different wavelengths of light to create different um, different vitamins and, and nutrient mixes. So our goal is to make more nutritional, nutritionally dense food anywhere um, in the world at any at any time. That, that sounds really exciting, Kevin. And um, as, as a uh, private sector researcher, I've been involved in several projects um, uh, in the indoor vertical um, space. And uh, when you mention uh, looking at light recipes and nutritional properties, that's, that's all you get. You have your finger on the pulse. And uh, I have colleagues at, at several uh, universities across the United States that are looking at specifically what you're uh, looking at, and you're probably familiar with the programs. Uh, mm -hmm. It's a very exciting time in in uh, commercial agriculture and horticulture. Oh, for sure, I, I totally agree. Um, additional to that, uh, we we try to like push the boundaries of what you can grow um, indoors. The, the the big the big pushback in terms of hydroponic growing, for example, is the ability to not grow anything beyond leafy greens and herbs. So our goal. Uh, especially anything calorically dense, especially when you're in remote communities anywhere around the world, somewhere you, you need those calorically dense foods to actually sustain an actual adequate healthy diet. So um, for what we're doing, uh, potatoes um, a little tough, of course, in hydroponics, they, they can be done in different types of settings like beto buckets. But for, for our end, we want to push the boundaries of uh, more of the high-end value crops, the strawberries. We've done strawberries and raspberries. We've done mini pumpkins and zucchinis. We've done quinoa, so a protein-based crop. Um, and then we've also done interesting ones like uh, hops for breweries um, and edible flowers for uh, high-end restaurants as well. That's all so exciting. And Michelle, you you know Kevin, you know me, so we're about to share with, with our uh, listeners. Uh, Kevin, you, you and I, uh, I can tell in five minutes uh, we're cut from the same cloth. We have we have similar wiring, and and one of the uh, research projects that I've been uh, working on for a, about six years now is um, in the greenhouse growing root crops in plug trays hydroponically, such as carrots, radishes, beets, and etc. And uh, specifically on on a carrot, my my argument is is this, and it's parallel to what you're describing in terms of the nutrition. Um, when, when I buy carrots in the grocery store, I've learned that it's about a 50-50 shot. Um, 50, half the time I bring that carrot home, it is uh, rubbery and tasteless, and 50% uh, of the time it might be tender and sweet. And kind of confirming what you're saying or saying it in a different way, I, I believe that in the controlled environment, greenhouse or indoor vertical farm, which is your category, uh, we can produce that tender, sweet carrot 365 days of the year. So it's really refreshing to hear what you're doing and kind of match it up with um, my world in the commercial re research arena of, of this, uh, this subject matter. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and in, in, for reference for what you're doing, it, it's super, it's super needed. I can't emphasize the word super enough. Uh, in, in terms of even just northern communities in the Arctic all around, and just in North America for that matter, let alone uh, communities in 
uh, on the opposite side of the world where it's too hot, for example, but they still need or very remote or very poor communities um, that need things like this. So having the ability to grow uh, calorically dense foods, the carrots, the potatoes that also have the nutritional properties in it is so important, especially as we move forward. And as Michelle mentioned before, um, now food security is on people's minds more so than ever because of the pandemic. And people want to be a little more self-sufficient, take control of their 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 own food supply, their food chain, so to speak, more than ever, and have their own backyard indoor garden. If it's something indoor, outdoor, whatever it may be, um, it's on the front it's on the front face of everyone's minds right now. So uh, it's more important than ever. And moving forward, I think it's it's going to grow um, with demand. That's excellent, Michelle. I have a question for you. It's a recurring question or a discussion that you and I. Um, are engaged in. And uh, to kind of uh, feather in some of what Kevin's saying, um, Kevin, Mich Michelle has heard me say that one of my visions for vertical farming is someday to be able to uh, justify growing fruiting crops, let's say the, the big three, the tomato, cucumber, pepper, in a vertical farm environment. And the research that I'm doing, the, the, the vision is to grow the vine crops horizontally so that we could stack layers of tomato plants that are growing um, horizontally across the, uh, the production area. And Michelle has accurately uh, pointed out to me and groups that she and I are working with that the economics aren't there yet. So while I, I understand from what she's saying that it might not be profitable today, I think I heard in between some of your comments uh, a, 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 a sense that matches up with mine that, uh, yeah, might not be economical today, folks, but this is only going to get more and more intense in terms of feeding the world. And at some point in the future, it might be economical. Do you have a comment on that, either of you? Sure. I, I don't mind starting. I, I would agree with Michelle's comment. Right right now, it's it's not economically feasible for a few reasons. Um Labor and energy usage are usually the big two. And any uh, in terms of indoor farming or greenhouse farming, in, in our experience, um, those are the big two. So being able to offset or produce your own energy is very really important. Um, to, and also on the other side of the coin is who's your, your target market for sales and what are they purchasing at versus what are your operational costs? A lot of people end up losing a lot of money based on projections and what actually happens at the, at the end of the day after a commercial indoor farm or greenhouse has product. So um, hopefully down the road, we get there in terms of unit economics and actually making it work on a feasible scale, but it's for sure needed. It just, I would agree it's not there yet. Yeah, I think that the research that both of you are doing is going to continue to move us in that direction. I think that um, potentially changes in how people think about the food system and maybe the goal isn't always the cheapest, um, that that will, you know, change the anchor price that people are considering if they can distinguish between these products. Um, if they want something in the winter in where any of us live, they're, you know, understanding that it is more expensive. And if it's, grown locally. So I think that there's a mind shift shift. I think that the economics in the farm is something that you guys are both 
you know, working on and getting fruits and vegetables and high energy crops. That's really where I think it is. I think that it's a work in progress. I think that it's a direction that people are going um, and it will continue to take time. So I have never told Peter that he can't grow things horizontally. <laughs> um, but I do think that it will, you know, that it is an evolution. And the truth is, it is creative ideas that make that possible. And I guess my last point was that there's a difference of whether you are growing it for yourself and whether you are growing it for a market. And so, you know, I have a friend and his daughter is, you know, has designed an entire raised bed in Texas and is going to be planting it this summer. And, you know, he asked her to draw up a budget and to, you know, consider how many hours of labor. And she has pointed out that these are going to be the most expensive tomatoes of her entire life. <laughs> and when you're growing for yourself, you don't necessarily care about how much it costs. So I think that that's an interesting place, you know, for a unit like just vertical where you do have indoor, you know, uses or in home uses where people might not be concerned about how much it costs to grow that tomato. They are just so excited that they did it themselves um, versus a commercial scale where really knowing your market and being able to sell at a press price point that makes them interested is very important. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, an interesting question um, that I always like to pose, and I don't, I don't know what the right answer is right now, but uh, how much are you willing to pay for fresh grown strawberries or tomatoes or peppers in the middle of a, a Boston winter or in the middle of a, a Toronto winter grown locally? What, what is that value to that person? And what are they willing to pay for something still grown down the street? Uh, when it's uh, in the middle of a snowstorm. So that's kind of an interesting uh, question for a lot of people because they are more aware of their food system, they're more aware of the, the price on food and also the impact on large scale farming has um, to get from wherever it's being grown to, to your plate at home, especially in the winter time. And I think that now, you know, especially since we're going to the grocery store less, since we are seeing supply chain disruptions, and since a lot of people are using services where produce gets delivered to their house and they don't get to pick over and decide, I've talked to several people that have now said, it's the fourth week in a row I've tried to buy berries and I live in, you know, northern part of the country and they never come in good condition. They're either, you know, squished or molding or, you know, they don't taste good. And I think that 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 changing how we buy food is changing how people think about what's available and is starting to raise the question, why is that berry not good? I mean, I grew up in Florida and now is a great time to be eating strawberries because they're coming from 10 miles away from my house. But now that it doesn't exist. And I think that those are questions that most people didn't ask. They were just excited that they, they just eat, took for granted that they could eat grapes in July or sorry, in January, anywhere in the country. Well, you guys are triggering a, a career question from me. And, and that is, um, I often ask, why does our food have to be so cheap? Wouldn't we be healthier if we spent the same amount of money, but on higher quality food and, and less food? You, you know what I'm saying? 
Um, and uh, Kevin, if you allow me, um, tell us a, a little bit more about your concept of of a uh, a consumer grade uh, or consumer level food production device, but you're calling it a piece of furniture. Tell us a little bit more. How'd you get there? How we got there initially was we made actually at the University of Toronto, we made an indoor vertical farm for a cafeteria. So it actually was, uh, it's right below the residency building um, where the kids, the first year kids come down for any meal of the day. Um, and from there, I kind of it was end up starting as a capstone project during um, during our master's degrees. Uh, Connor and I, are my co-founder, and uh, we we were debating: do we go into a PhD? And I, it, ironically, one of our supervisors he uh, pushed us in the opposite direction. Usually, it's if you're thinking about a PhD, you kind of move down that road, and you have the support of a supervisor if you want to go down that research stream. Uh, he actually had pushed us and was like, "I think you guys might have something here." Um, he pushed us in the opposite direction and said, I just totally support you if you want to start a business and see where it goes. Um, so we, we gave it a try. Um, so it started, we did a lot of market research. There, there are hydroponics has been around for a very long time, generally speaking. And the tabletop slash countertop versions have been around for a good amount of time. Aerogarden is one of the, the bigger, bigger guys in the space. But we wanted to be a little different. A lot of people had the issue of wanting to put white plastic devices away during uh, get-togethers of friends and family. And we wanted to make something beautiful for the home that people were proud of. So, but we also wanted to make sure it was productive to grow food. So we hybridize uh, interior design with furniture with, um, with indoor hydroponics. So our system actually is a hybrid of aeroponics and hydroponics. The difference in hydroponics and aeroponics is aeroponics uses a, a fine mist, a pressurized mist that sprays the roots that kind of dangle in the air. And hydroponics uses a mixture of either NFT, an ebb and flow type of system, something with uh, an irrigation attached to a, a pump that has water go on and off that directly delivers water to the roots. So it's a, it's a hybrid of the two. Um, and then we developed the AVA, which is our indoor vertical garden. So it, it is truly meant for growing food, but it also is play that it doubles as furniture where you can stack things, um, whatever it may be in your, if it's in a, if it, if it's your living room or your kitchen or your basement or bedroom, anything on top of it. Um, and, and anything in the cabinet as well. On the right side, there's a water reservoir on the left side, it's totally open for storage. That sounds really cool. And the pictures that I saw on the website, um, yeah, they blend right into a uh, the decor in a room. Um, I'm sure you guys toss this around, Kevin. When when I um, look at the the uh, the unit and hear your comments, um, part of me is going to and and again, being the uh, commercial horticulturist, part of me is saying, well, gee, what what else? What what's the variety that that Kevin and Just Vertical might be recommending? What what's the variety of food crops? And uh, one of the um, controlling factors in my mind is temperature. So I think about how we manage or maintain our homes and bedrooms are usually cooler and living areas are warmer. Have you guys had discussions about perhaps growing spinach and, and lettuce in the bedroom where it would thrive under cooler conditions and then the warmer crops in the living area and kitchens? 
Yeah, exactly. So that's a really good question. So to answer your first question, the types I've grown over well, roughly 200 different varieties of plants in the system so far. Um, the biggest things we, we wanted to do is make sure we can grow them under under two two components. One, non-ideal conditions. Um, so we provide recommendations, as like you said, if, if you're putting it into a bedroom um, where it's a little cooler, the lettuce, the spinaches are, the, are better. Um, but if you put it in, in your in your living room or your sunroom area where there's a lot more direct light, mind you, it, we do have an integrated LED system into the unit, so you don't need direct sunlight to grow the plants. Uh, but if it's just generally warmer in that room, uh, tomatoes or or peppers or something, uh, smaller peppers can grow better in there. Uh, the one the one issue we had to play with is we we made recipes to optimize for people to grow a, a multiple variety of plants, for example, lettuce, spinach, tomatoes, and mini cucumbers all at the same time to grow adequately well. The biggest thing is what people don't want to do at home is monocrop. They really want a variety, even if it's an educational learning lesson uh, based on how plants grow, generally speaking, if it's to kickstart your garden before the summertime, or if it's to just to have a bunch of different types of herbs, cold weather, hot weather, herbs growing all at the same time and just pick as you need and negate more food waste aspect. A lot of people come up to us and say, uh, especially being Cinco de Mayo today, I bought a little clamshell of cilantro. I used maybe a portion of that bundle, put it in the fridge, come back to it the next week. And it's of course all decayed and moldy. Um, and it's no good to me anymore. So for us, it's always a living crop. So to go back and answer your question, we, we give recommendations based on where you're putting it into your room. It's in schools, especially they like to do a, a larger variety of crops in there. So we just provide guidelines and recommendations, and then we optimize the nutrient and light recipes for what they're growing and what room they're growing in, in their home. It's all exciting, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. One, one thing that Michelle and I are, have been discussing, Kevin, is is a, uh, let's say, a larger scale of what you just described. Um, and and, and I'll, I'll call it salad in a box. Um, and and you, you, you said it very nicely You're, you you want them not not monoculture but to grow various ingredients and michelle's heard me talk about uh, at a local level uh can a single grower greenhouse operator dedicate a portion of a greenhouse or a bay of a greenhouse to tomato cucumber lettuce everything we use in a salad so that instead of just selling boston lettuce to the marketplace he or she could offer that that homes uh salad ingredients for a week and uh michelle's brought up how the economics and the efficiencies might change the shape of that a bit in that maybe it's one of the local growers growing the lettuce another of the local growers growing the tomatoes but together they market uh in unison and, and offer that that same type of product so it's really cool to hear you talking about the concept for the homeowner and uh, it matches up with what we've been discussing commercially. Yeah, I, I, I think we're all very aligned on the same page, all three of us. And in terms of Michelle's point of the economics of it, it, it is for sure more efficient to grow one or two crops max in either residential setting or commercial setting, containerized farm, uh, any controlled environment, agricultural unit, for that being, um, it just... It's interesting if you have that community aspect of it and you have 
certain growers on a plot of land that grow their own specific niche based on their expertise, you can really have almost a, a community salad, if you will. And then everyone kind of comes together with their one or two ingredients and puts it as one. Um, and you do have that community salad now after after all said and done. Kevin, you made another excellent point that I, I don't want to uh, just pass by everyone. And, and that is, you, you said that it, at the consumer level, um, it doesn't have to be profitable or, you know, 100% optimal. Um, and, and much of my research over my career has been on stress physiology. And I can say that, um, and you and I, I'm sure, agree on this, that the fastest growing crop, the crop that's fastest from sow to harvest is not always of the highest quality. And it does uh, improve the nutritional content if at times we can put the brakes on and not have that plant growing in overdrive and allow respiratory processes and side processes to impact the quality of the plant. So it's really refreshing. And it's, it's I think, a, a, a challenge for us to educate consumers that that uh, sometimes a slower growing plant is of higher quality. For sure. I, I agree 100%. Um, so interesting uh, to this point, we, we are actually doing a giveaway for, we made a little greenhouse experiment. It, it's very simple. Anyone in North America right now can go on to our website and we're offering free lettuce seeds. Um, and there's a lesson plan on there. And all you need is an egg carton, some soil, and some like saran wrap or plastic wrap of sorts. And you put it over top. And it's and we have a, a little educational a guide how to do the, the experiment and the lesson of the education behind behind this. And why we're doing lettuce crops um, or lettuce, we're giving away lettuce seeds to anyone is because they're quick germinating crops. Um, and they can, they're, they're cold weather crops, but the lettuce can pretty much germinate anywhere with has near a window without a window dark light whatever setting lettuce is is pretty resilient in that sense um at least pre-germination to the at least propagation seedling stage um and the reason why we're doing lettuce is because of that quick nature we want people to be interested in seeing something grow quickly uh i think some of the the, the more nutritious plants the, the quote-unquote cooler plants to grow may take a long, long time to see something very adequately. So we want to keep that interest up. So we're actually offering lettuce or uh, or other quicker germinating plants or seeds for that matter um, to anyone that, that wants it on our website. That's really good. That's a nice, complete way of looking at it. And it's useful that the um, that it's it doesn't require a lot of pieces, right? You have your seeds, you have your egg carton, and you have your plastic wrap. Um, yeah, and eggshells. I forgot to mention that as well. Exactly. So it goes into the little eggshell. The soil goes into the eggshell. The eggshell sits in the the carton. I apologize. Yeah, and just making it so that people can use what they have, because I think at this point, accessible is a key feature. Uh, given that you know, it's just everything else is so difficult. So I love that it's easy. And if you are trying to get kids involved, it's something that, you know, again, can be done at home. Exactly. You see kids at home right now, just bored. Um, I know there's, there's teachers are doing their best for lesson plans, but, but it, it, it is, it is tough. So this is just an extra supplemental or compliment to doing something fun, cool with your hands and you're learning something at the same time. Kevin, how are you guys uh, handling or what's, what's your outlook on um, 
those homeowners who have outdoor gardens, um, there, you, I could see where there's a little competition in terms of um, your unit being inside and then them being ready to move outside at this time of year into the, the, the garden in the backyard. Have, have you had conversations or how, how you're dealing with, with that? Um, and, and Michelle, am I accurate in saying it's, it's like, you know, comp competition, whether that homeowner is going to go outside or stay inside? I mean, yes, they are two different types of gardens. So I would assume that they're competition, but I think that there's probably enough people that either want to use year round. So they'll just get comfortable with this and keep growing year round. Um, and then what I and then maybe potentially expand outside or, um, you know, use both at once. I don't see that it's a problem. It's just something nice to supplement the outdoor once you get into it for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, Michelle, you hit the the nail on the head there. So it, it's it, they are in competition for sure. Um, the, the biggest thing is um, when we can't grow all year round outside, unless you do live in Florida, um, for the most part, um, and of course depending on what you're growing. Um, but it, it is a good way to grow all year round. Um, and with people with green thumbs, people who live and die by their garden, that's fantastic. I have I have a, a little mini garden on the, my balcony right now, uh, soil garden, just just sitting out there. To the, the biggest thing with that is a lot of people who use our, our indoor hydroponic gardens that have a green thumb and have a garden that however size it is, they actually use the ones that do have our units actually use the units in the early, the late winter, early spring months to actually seed, germinate and propagate plants for their outdoor garden as well. So they actually use it as a, a propeller for their outdoor garden as well. That's an excellent point, Kevin. My son's father-in-law in Pennsylvania uh, has been very receptive to me teaching him. I gave him an LED fixture from an earlier research project I was on, and I've got him set up in his basement to do exactly. He's He is, Michelle's heard me say, a, 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 among the most avid home gardeners I've met in my life. <laughs> and he's really enjoying learning from people like me and you, the commercial, the, the horticulturists, and he's just soaking in. And uh, I'm, I'm still starting his tomato and pepper seedlings here in Massachusetts in my greenhouse, but I've got him producing all of his leafy greens and his broccoli transplants. And I keep uh, pushing him and saying, um, Gee, Renee, if I send you another LED fixture, you know, next year I want you to be able to grow your own tomato and, and pepper plants. So it, it's such an exciting arena. And uh, I can share that Michelle and her little three-year-old and husband, or um, you, you guys just built some raised beds, right, for this year's uh, garden adventure, Michelle? We did. We had some raised beds in Virginia. And then when we moved here, we built new raised beds. So. Um, Yes, and I am sick. constantly learning from both of you about making my garden better. So I do not have that plant science background, but I enjoy it. And I, you know, that's why I look at it and why I mentioned that it doesn't always matter how much it costs because I can promise you that I could cheaper and easier 
buy, you know, better produce, but there's just something so fulfilling out of doing it yourself and making an activity um, that that piece of it is super important. And I think that getting that into more people's hands as they're more receptive right now is a great opportunity. Kevin, I have a question. I, I read a little bit in the comments you sent us about your, your background and your business. Can you, can you share with us, uh, you recently received quite a high recognition um, in, in terms of a startup company. Would you, would you share that experience with us? Sure. Yeah. Um, we were selected uh, um, to, in 2019 um, by Toyota and the Huffington Post as an emerging startup of the year, or it was one of the emerging startups of the year. And we actually did, uh, you can find on our website, uh, actually a commercial. So they did a commercial um, with us with the new 2020 Prius. Um, it's very, it's very TV-esque. It's very, very well done. Um, and that was uh, chosen. Yeah, we, we were very lucky, very fortunate to be chosen to be to have that title and to to be chosen for that. Um, it was quite an honor for us. So um, you can everyone can take a look and check out the commercial. It's uh, it, it really shows the the true life cycle of what our product can do. Pretty much at um at a, at a family level. Where, where people can grow what they want at home and a family is eating dinner and uh, kind of using the produce that comes off the, their indoor garden. Well, I will add that link in the show notes for people that are interested. Thank, thank you. Congratulations on that, Kevin. Uh, you know, as we wind down, uh, guys, uh, I can share that we, we all, we, the three of us share the entrepreneurial flame. Uh, each of us, our co-founders and presidents of, of our respective businesses. Michelle, you and I are one man or one woman operations. Kevin, you've, you've got a number of employees on your team, but I think um, it's a common bond that we share to, to uh, start a business and, and, and have it be our life's passion, our career passions. So kudos to that. And I think my final comment, Michelle, in, in, in today's conversation is, is this, and I'm dating myself, uh, guys, but uh, earlier in my career, let's say through the 80s and 90s, farming was not exciting to the general public. And we had trouble getting the word agriculture into inner cities and municipal school systems into the conversation. It is so refreshing for me at this stage of my career to, to witness how agriculture is now uh, exciting, popular to the inner city as well as the rural community. And it's work of people like you two, your generation, that's helping fuel this. So as, as the uh, the the uh, older uh, owl in this conversation, I tip my cap to you guys because uh, it's it's about all of us being on the same page and, and pushing this rock together. I I I, I appreciate that, and I, I really I true truly think that there's me a huge uptick in there is, but there as we continue to move forward past once we get past the the issues of today of the pandemic um, and as things open up, people are gonna be more aware of 
their purchasing power, their what they buy, how much they buy, what they really need. Um, especially as you see spikes in food prices, people who have never felt food insecurity before um, are now facing that issue potentially. So um, I, I think when more people get on board of the importance of agriculture in general, and then trying to do their own thing, if it's just at home in their own backyard garden, or if it's on a commercial scale, uh, whatever it may be, it does make a difference. Um, and I think the important thing for us to, um, remember at least from uh, one learning experience so far from our end is uh it's it really truly is creating a more of a sense of community um within your own local community to citywide countrywide whatever it may be uh, people are truly coming together and uh i hope that continues as we move forward well and on that note i feel like we you know had great information for the listeners today but i actually feel like bringing peter and kevin together is what i have accomplished today cuz i had a feeling that you guys would really hit it off and the dialogue was interesting and engaging and thank you so much for joining us kevin oh thanks so much uh, happy to help anytime yeah thank you kevin thank you